Amen. We need more praying mamas today, don't we? All right. Uh, we're going to look at Numbers chapter 7 this morning. Numbers chapter 7. <clears throat> Always good to be here in prior. And uh, I missed uh, hearing Brother Rob this morning and uh, well, out, out at the fairgrounds, but I know he uh, was used of the Lord this morning, so uh, we praise the Lord for that. And uh, always say, if you don't like your pastor being gone preaching somewhere else, then uh, to get you a pastor nobody else wants to hear. And uh, he'll he'll be there every Sunday. But uh, and we sing that little that little song uh, we opened up with this morning. Soon and very soon. But I don't think many times we realize how soon it might be. And I was, I was watching a video yesterday of a, a preacher that I know. I'm not personal friends with him or anything, but I've met him a time or two. But he's a preacher back on the East Coast that's a very well-known um, prophecy preacher. And he, he and his grandson is also a preacher. And uh, they're on a 44,000-mile journey right now going to a bunch of different places, that particularly places that have a, a great uh, meaning in prophecy and... Uh, and they've been doing these videos every day talking about what they're finding out and things. And, and they did a video yesterday uh, from the United Arab Emirates or Saudi Arabia and uh, one of the prime locations in the Arab world. And behind them was the construction of what they call the Abrahamic Harmony Center. And in that one location, construction is almost finished. There will be a mosque, there will be a synagogue, and there will be a church. Uh, put bringing those all three of those religions together, and the the construction sign in front of that those buildings, the construction sign says Chrislam, bringing together. The Pope's already been there to visit, and he and the the top imam in the in the country, which is the Muslim leader, they've already embraced, kissed each other on the cheek, and uh, they're all setting the stage. One of these days, our Lord's coming back, and they they, they they're already setting the stage for that one world. Uh, Religion that's going to be the religion of the Antichrist, but of course it's going to be a false religion. And I'm excited about the Lord coming back, but I know we still got work to do. As long as we're here, we need to keep on doing what God's called us to do and get people ready. Looking at Numbers chapter number seven, <clears throat> Numbers chapter number seven it says that it came to pass on the day that Moses had fully set up a tabernacle. And had anointed it and sanctified it and all the instruments thereof, both the altar and all the vessels thereof, and had anointed them and sanctified them, that the princes of Israel, heads of the house of their fathers, who were the princes of the tribes, and were over them that were numbered, offered. And they brought their offerings before the Lord, six covered wagons, twelve oxen, and a wagon for two of the princes, and for each one an ox. And they brought them before the tabernacle. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take it of them that they may be to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. And thou shalt give them unto the Levites, to every man according to his service. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari according unto their service under the hand of Ithamar the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders 
I want to preach to you a little while this morning on the subject. Not everybody gets a wagon. Not everybody gets a wagon. Now, when this story begins, I'm not necessarily all surprised at what happens. And the day comes uh, when the princes of the 12 tribes of Israel come together and, and they bring six wagons and 12 oxen to Moses. And the Lord tells Moses to distribute the wagons and the oxen among the three families of the tribe of Levi and to give it to them so that they can do the work that God's called them to do. Now, I've never been great at math. I think I made straight C's. Uh, in, uh, in like algebra and that kind of stuff. We got into that kind of math. I, I was pretty good at business math and stuff like that. But man, when it come to algebra and that kind of stuff, man, I made straight C's, I'm pretty sure. But, uh, I, I do though, I don't, I do know a little bit of simple math. And if you had six wagons to divide among three families, how do you think you would distribute those? Well, you'd give two to each family. If you had twelve oxen to divide among three families, how many oxen do you suppose you would give to each family? You'd give four. And that's how our story starts out today. Moses gives, uh, he gave the families of Gershon two wagons and four oxen, which is what I expected. But then you get to the children of Merari, and Moses gives them four wagons and eight oxen. Then there's left standing there the, the family of Kohath. And to them he gives them nothing. I want you to notice, first of all, this morning that the resources that are available and what happens to them. I want you to notice that, number one, the resources were unequally distributed. There's two wagons for Gershon and four wagons for Merari, but Kohath is told he just has to bear the burden on his shoulders. You can imagine now as they're traveling across that wilderness, and again, this is during the 40 years of wanderings of the children of Israel, and just as they would get settled in one spot, it seemed like the Lord would lead them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. He would lead them to another location. So they were constantly on the move throughout that wilderness. I mean, the sands are hot upon their feet and the sun beats down upon them with no sympathy whatsoever. And Gershon gets to load his wagon with his items and just meander along the way. And his family maybe gets to get in the wagon and, and ride much of the way. <clears throat> and then there's Merari. Merari's got four wagons to carry his burdens. But then there's Kohath, and the Bible says that he had to carry the things that were necessary for him to move from place to place across that wilderness. He had to carry those things on his shoulders. Not only were the resources unequally distributed, but I want you to say, see this morning that they're unfairly distributed. I don't know about you, but did you ever notice that life isn't fair? I see people sometimes that have jobs where they really have to do very little little work and maybe they're just watching some machines or watching some computers and as long as those machines or those computers do what they're supposed to do and they're running properly I mean they can read a book and they can take a nap or they can just relax and they get paid a lot of money to do very little then I see other people that maybe they're they might even have just as much education as the other people do, and man, they get a job, man, they're just barely maybe making minimum wage, and it seems like they have to work so hard just to get by, and maybe they drive an old car, and they live in a modest home, and maybe they have to shop at second-hand stores to buy clothes, and it, it seems like sometimes that others around them got a wagon, but they didn't get a wagon, and they have to carry the burden on their shoulders. I see some homes where there's a mother and there's a father present, and it seems like each one does their part, and it seems like things just go so smoothly in that family. But then I see other homes 
where there's maybe a single father or a single mother that's having to do it all, and they're trying their hardest to provide everything that they can for their family needs. And it seems like some people have a wagon, while others have to carry the burden on their shoulders. I would say that the resources are distributed unequally and unfairly, but I'd also like to say that they are distributed unreasonably. I can remember when I got out of high school, I went to work for Southwestern Bell Telephone Company in Stillwater. And <clears throat> back in those days, you didn't do, you, you didn't, wasn't, everything wasn't done online like it is now yet. You went into the office and you went in and placed your order for phone service. And you came to, as a matter of fact, you came, most of them came, you picked up your phone uh, from, from the telephone company at that point. And I remember when I was working there for Southwestern Bell, I would see those college students come into the office and I would see some of those students drive up in their BMWs and they'd walk in and order their phone service and they'd get the top of the line everything. And when it got done, they'd throw down mommy and daddy's credit card to pay for it all. But then I would see others have to come in and they'd have to really watch what they spent. And they'd tell me how they were having to work two jobs in addition to going to school full time. And they seemed like they had nothing given to them, but instead they had to work hard for everything that they got. It seemed like some of those students had a wagon while others had to carry the burden on their shoulders. There's a pastor that I knew in Colorado. He later moved and began to pastor a church in Texas. And quite a few years back, I went and preached for him at the church in Texas. And they had a very nice but modest building. And they weren't even looking for another building at the time. But the state highway department decided they were going to build a new highway. And that new highway was going to go right through their property. And so the State Highway Department offered to buy them out so that they could move to a better location. And they gave them enough money, bought them out to where they could move to a new location and build a brand new modern church building far nicer than the one that they had before. And I see that, and it seemed like some people have a wagon and others have to carry the burden on their shoulders. Have you ever heard, caught yourself saying, God just isn't fair? Well, you know what? Really, God never does claim to be fair. He's just, but God doesn't claim to be fair. There's some places where people are so easy to reach, it seems like they're just waiting for somebody to come and tell them about Jesus, and they're ready to get saved. Other places, it seems like people couldn't care less if you shared the gospel with them or not. And as a matter of fact, many of them just want nothing to do with the church. And I got a friend of mine in Florida. He pastors the church down there. And, man, it just seemed like every week or two, they'll have a family new family joined their church and they've moved into the area and they're already members of a good church somewhere and, and they moved there and just come to join my friend's church. And I mean, when on day one, they're already well-grounded, seasoned Christians ready to serve God on day one. Yet I've pastored in places like Colorado and the Lord did bless us and we had a great work there, but it seemed like many times we had to work so much harder to win people and grow than other places uh, had to. And it seemed like... Some areas, it seemed like everybody had a wagon, while others had to carry the burden on their shoulders. I know that the resources were distributed unequally, unfairly, and unreasonably, but I want to say today that it was not unjustly. I remember a man I used to know, whenever folks would ask him how he was doing, he would always respond by saying, better than I deserve. And you know... Today, if I got what I deserve today, I'd die right now and go to hell and burn there forever. You're not ever going to find me holding up a sign saying, I want, I want what's coming to me. I don't want what's coming to me. I know what's coming to me. If, you, if the Lord gave me what's coming to me, and I'd go to hell. 
You know, the Bible describes Joseph going to prison unjustly for something that he didn't do. And most of you know the story of Joseph. I'm amazed, though, it says when it describes the life of Joseph. The Bible says that there he goes to prison unjustly for something he didn't do. And the Bible uses a term and says that he learned of God's mercy. That's, it's strange to me that the Bible would use that term, mercy, when you're talking about somebody that was treated so unfairly. But I think the lesson that God was teaching us in that story, in Joseph's case, was that even jail was better than he deserved. There was a boy that grew up in Texas, and his daddy was a drunkard who abandoned him and his mother and His mother worked hard just to sustain him, and his clothes were old, and they were not in the best of shape, and many times the rich kids would make fun of him because of the way that he was dressed. And one day there was a community Christmas party, and and he and his cousin decided to go down and check it out, and there was a huge Christmas tree with hundreds of gifts under it, and those rich kids, when their name was called, would go go up and receive beautifully wrapped presents that their parents had placed under the tree, and... And even his cousin had a present under the tree, but when all the presents had been given out, there was not a present for him. He went home and his mother asked him, said, son, said, didn't you get a present? He said, no, mother. He said, every other child at the party got a present, but I didn't get even one. Everybody else got a wagon, but he had to carry the burden of life on his shoulders. I see people that are equally committed to Christ and they're generous in their service. They're separated in their living and it seems like everything comes so hard to them while yet others seem to have a wagon and their burden is so light and easy. Do you ever find yourself maybe sometimes just getting a little bit envious of other people? Do you ever look around sometimes and maybe ever find yourself wishing you were somewhere else? In our story this morning, don't you think the children of Kohath might have wondered why they didn't get any wagons? When they're out there walking through those sands of that hot desert in the wilderness, and they're looking at the ones riding in the wagon, and they're having to carry their burdens on their shoulders, don't you think they might have wondered, how come we didn't get a wagon? I want to give you some supposed reasons this morning, first of all. First of all, they could have had, they could have thought somebody cheated them. I could hear Kohath say, well, did you see that? Merari took my wagons. I mean, everybody knows it's supposed to be two wagons per family. Everybody gets the same amount. And right here in front of everybody, Merari stole my wagons. I mean, that just makes sense. Gershon got his two wagons and four oxen. And then Merari comes along and he took mine. Did you ever feel that way? Did you ever feel like somebody else got what anybody with common sense knows should have been yours? See, one thing we can do, if we don't think we have it as easy as somebody else, one thing we can blame others. But then maybe the reason Kohath didn't get any wagons is maybe they didn't have anybody that knew how to drive. I mean, maybe they just weren't prepared. Maybe they weren't just able to handle the wagons. See, sometimes instead of blessing, uh, blaming others, we'll just blame ourselves. We'll say, well, I, I'm, I just must not be good, a good enough Christian. I must just not be smart enough, or there must just be something wrong with me. I mean, I don't have any abilities. Nobody loves me. I think I'll just go eat worms. The reason reason, reason I don't have what everybody else has got, just something wrong with me. Or maybe instead of blaming others or 
blaming themselves. Maybe they just looked at the situation and said, well, I guess Gershon, or God must love Gershon and Merari more than me. That's why they got more wagons. That's why they got the oxen. It's because God loves them more than he loves me. See, maybe if they don't blame others or themselves, but instead maybe they blame God. Have you ever found yourself looking at others and saying, they don't deserve what they've got any more than I do? I mean, if God would have just been fair with me and given me what they have, I could be where they're at today. If God would have just given me a wagon instead, I've got to carry everything on my shoulders. Now, those are the supposed reasons. Now I want to give you the scriptural reasons. We won't turn back there and read the whole chapters for the sake of time this morning, but if you were to go back to Numbers chapter 3 and verse 25, you'll find out what it was that the children of Gershon had to carry in their wagon. Numbers 3 verses 25 and 26 says, And the charge of the sons of Gershon in the tabernacle of the congregation shall be the tabernacle and the tent, the covering thereof, and the hanging for the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the hangings of the court and the curtain for the door of the court, which is by the tabernacle and by the altar round about and the cords of it for all the service thereof. So you see, Gershon and his family and their wagons had to carry the cloth and the cords that made up that tabernacle. Then if you look in verse 36 of the same chapter in Numbers, you'll find out what it was that Merari had to carry in their wagons. Numbers 3 verses 36 through 37 says, and under the custody and charge of the sons of Merari shall be the boards of the tabernacle, and the bars thereof, and the pillars thereof, and the sockets thereof, and all the vessels thereof, and all that serveth thereto, and the pillars of the court round about, and their sockets, and their pins, and their cords. So you see, they carried the wood and the poles, the stakes that held the tabernacle up. I guess in today's computer language, you'd say Gershon had the software, Merari had the hardware. Every time it was time to move, they'd take down the tent and the curtains and the cords and they'd fold them up and they'd put them in the two wagons and they'd go out over those hot sands of the wilderness and they'd take all the poles and the stakes and they'd put them in the four wagons and down the road would go Merari. But guess what you find in chapter 4 and verse 4 of the book of Numbers? It tells us what it is that the sons of Kohath had to carry on their shoulders says, this shall be the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of the congregation about the most holy things. I want you to notice that it just took a couple of verses or so for God's instructions for what Gershon and Merari had to carry and how they were, go to, how they were to go about it. But if you were to turn there this morning and see, you'd notice that about 15 verses of instruction or so are given to the sons of Kohath about what they had to carry and how they had to carry it. You see, out across the boiling sands of that desert, Gershon carried his tent and the coverings, and Merari carried his poles and his stakes, and their wagons rolled along, but here's the sons of Kohath, and they're carrying the service items of the tabernacle. They're carrying the ark of God, and that's the place where God dwelt, and the ark that was so holy it could only be carried by the staves or the poles that supported it. And if any man so much as even touched it to keep it from falling, they would be killed instantly. You see, it's all right 
to put that tent in the wagon where it jostles up and down and gets thrown from side to side as that wagon makes its way across that rugged terrain. It's all right to put the poles and the stakes in Merari's wagons and let them bang around as four wagons are pulled by the oxen across the shifting sands of that wilderness. But you don't put the ark of God in a wagon. You don't put the table of showbread in a wagon. You don't put that candlestick in the wagon because they represent God speaking with man, God dealing with man. They're too special to be put in a wagon. You see, the real reason they had to be carried on their shoulders was because they were too valuable to be put on the bottom of an ox cart and carried across that desert. Now let me give you some reminders and some applications. Reminder number one, God's holy. One of the lessons God teaches us about His Word is that His Word is holy. God's Word is too special for man to cut it up and just take out parts of it and make it like a Reader's Digest condensed version. You know that some of those scribes that were used to write the Old Testament Scriptures, when they would get ready to write and when they came to a place where they needed to write God's name, they would go and they'd change clothes. They'd bathe themselves and sometimes they'd go get a new quill. And they would never say God's name out loud because His name was too holy to be spoken out loud. But look at what we do today. We pay money to rent movies or buy books and pay somebody to come into our home and use God's name in vain. We invite it into our living rooms. But see, God said you take the greatest care when you put that ark on your shoulders and you carry it across the desert, not only God is holy, reminder number two, special work requires special effort. We go back to our story and we see our friends Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. And I might think that Kohath would be a little bitter that he has, and he might resent having to carry the burden on his shoulders, but somehow I, I see them as they're walking across that wilderness and the perspiration is pouring down their brow and, and they carry the ark of God on their shoulders and, I mean, man, their backs begin to hurt and they begin to get dehydrated and, and you go to Kohath and you ask, don't you wish that you were Gershon or Merari? I don't think they'd want to trade. I hear Kohath respond, don't you know what I'm carrying? Don't you know how important these things are? Don't you know that these are the things that are used to offer sacrifice and redeem sinful man? I mean, you can get another tent. You can get another pole, but you can't get another Ark of the Covenant of God. Sometimes God gives us the privilege of being able to carry some things on our shoulders. You know, when we stand at the judgment of Christ one of these days, I don't think God's going to say, how many did you have in attendance? I don't think he's going to say, how many baptisms did you have? Do you know what you and I are going to be judged by? We're going to be judged by what you did with what you had. I think we're probably going to be surprised. Some of those that we thought God was so impressed with that he blessed them so abundantly, they may not receive as great a rewards as some of those that we thought God had shunned. You may think, well, the pastor or some of these folks here that do the big jobs, they'll be the ones that get the rewards. But, you know, if you're if you're just a lay person and you're faithful to take whatever your burden is and just carry it across your shoulders, across the wilderness, you can get just as big a reward as anybody else. Special work requires special effort. 
But no wagons doesn't mean no love. I remember a few years ago hearing a preacher tell a story about coming <clears throat> coming back from a meeting one day and he was driving on a mountain road and all of a sudden the traffic ahead of him just had come to a complete stop and he waited a while and the traffic never did start to move so he got out of his car and he walked to the front of the line to try to see what was wrong and there was a semi-truck that had just jackknifed and was completely blocking the highway and the driver was trapped inside and there was a nurse there who had got out of her car and gone to help the injured driver. She saw the preacher as he walked up, and she asked him if he had a first aid kit. And he said, no, I don't have one, but said, I'll go see if I can find one. So he walked down that line of cars and began to ask each one of those drivers if they had a first aid kit. And after asking dozens of drivers and walking over a half a mile, he finally found a first aid kit, and as soon as he found that kit, he began walking back up to the wreck, and somebody came up to him, and they said, here, you look tired, said, you want me to carry that up there for you? He looked back at him, he said, no way, Jose. I mean, I've walked all the way back there that half a mile, and I've knocked on all these car windows, asking somebody if they had a first aid kit. And you better believe I want to be the one that walks up there to the front of that line. And I want to be the one that proudly hands that first aid kit to that nurse. And here, here you are. Maybe this will help that man. I can see Kohath as they would reach their destination in the tent and the curtains were put up. And somebody would, somebody would come up and say, here, Kohath, y'all look a little tired. <clears throat> Won't you let us take the ark of God into the tabernacle? And I hear Kohath say, oh, no. I carried this ark on my shoulders all this way. I'm not about to put it down now. If you could go and ask each one of these, Gershon, Merari, and Kohath, if you could ask them if God loved them, I think they would all say yes. But I got a feeling that if any of the three felt like God had been extra good to them, I think when Kohath walked proudly into that tabernacle, carrying that ark on his shoulders, I think he would say, I'm the one. I'm the one that God gave special favoritism to. See, no wagons doesn't mean no love. The last reminder, though not the last point of the sermon this morning, is this. Extra burdens are an extra blessing. You know what it means when you get to carry something on your shoulders? It means that God thought you could handle it. God knew that if he had trusted your burden to somebody else, they might have got tired and climbed in the wagon he knew that when he had some special things that required special attention, he looked down, he said, I believe I can trust this one to do some extra work. I read the testimony of a preacher and his wife that after 12 years of marriage and three children, they had a fourth baby born to them. Soon after the birth of that baby, it was discovered that that little baby had Down syndrome. And that pastor's wife gave her testimony and she said she was shocked at some of the things that well-meaning people would say to her. They would say things like, well, God allowed this to happen because he knew you were strong. She responded by saying, well, in that case, I wish I was weak. One day, a couple sat visiting in their home and saw how much attention that little Down syndrome baby required and said, you know, with a busy church that needs you and three children and a husband to take care of, you sure didn't need that little boy. The mother looked at that baby and she looked back at those people and said, I know, but he sure didn't need me. That little boy grew up and he got saved and 
he became the life of that pastor's home and church. And one day there was a lady in the church got up to sing and it seemed like her introduction just went rather long and just went on and on and on. And finally the little boy had all he could take and he just, he just hollered out loud and said, sing it hot lips. His dad one day noticed that his toothbrush was wet at times when it shouldn't have been. He asked his other three children and his wife if they had used his toothbrush, and they all said no. One day he happened to walk by the bathroom, and he saw his boy in there, and he had his daddy's toothbrush, and he was holding his Ernie from Sesame Street doll, and he was brushing Ernie's teeth, and he would say, Brush, Ernie, brush. Rinse, Ernie, rinse. Spit, Ernie, spit. Then he walked over and he rinsed out his dad's toothbrush in the toilet and put it back in its place. The pastor immediately began spitting and running for water and his, his wife says she hasn't kissed him since and has no plans to in the future. The preacher's wife said at the end of her testimony that she could best describe what she felt after what she's been through with that little Down syndrome boy by saying, he's just a blessing. You see, extra burdens are an extra blessing. Now let me talk to you about how you respond to those burdens that you carry on your shoulders. You see, it's easy to respond with resentment. You could say, it just isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? I don't know why somebody else seems to have ample finances and I don't. I don't see why it is that somebody else has good health and I don't. I don't know why it is that somebody else seems to have a good job and I don't. Instead of resentment, you could respond with resignation. You say, you could say, well, it's just my cross that I have to bear. I'll stay faithful, but I want you to know that I'm gonna, that I'm really under the burden. I'm being treated unfairly and I'm, I'm gonna go on, but I'm gonna go on feeling sorry for myself and still going on, but making sure that everybody around me knows what burden it is I'm bearing. Or you could respond instead of with resentment, or resignation, you could respond with rejoicing. You could say, you know what I get to carry? Do you know what God thought of me? My wife has a cousin just a year younger than her, and <clears throat> they've always been very close. And Her cousin's name is Rachel. When they were kids, they were so close that they would say that when they grew up, they were going to have houses next door to each other so they could still see each other every day. And about seven years ago, Rachel and her husband, Shane, found out that Rachel was expecting a child. She wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant at that point, but God had another plan. And during her pregnancy, it was discovered that that baby boy she was carrying had water on the brain. And she could have chosen to end that pregnancy, but of course she valued that baby regardless. And he was born a little over six years ago, and his little life is been a life of frequent hospital visits and surgeries and round-the-clock care. And At that time, Rachel was a teacher and a coach in middle school, and she was not able to return to teaching or coaching because her son Levi would require her care 24 hours a day. And Several years ago, my wife and Rachel went with the youth group there from Stidham and went to youth camp. And my wife said, and she came back home after that youth camp, she told me, she said, I had no idea what all Rachel has to do to care for Levi. said that She said Rachel had to get up at all hours of the night to give him medication through a tube in his stomach. And he has seizures frequently, so he can't be left unless he's left with somebody that has the knowledge of how to take care of him. And 
his dad's a cowboy and, and rides horses and raises cattle and he and Rachel have three girls and Shane was so looking forward to having a son to teach how to ride a horse, how to take care of the cattle. But you see, Levi can't communicate at all. He can't talk. His vision isn't clear. He can't walk. He can't even sit up on his own. He doesn't even make eye contact. So instead of teaching Levi the things the father wants his son to know, the only time that Shane spends any time with his little six-year-old boy is when he's holding him like a baby and changing or changing his diaper. Before I came to Exciting Southeast and began to do music there, I, I was the young adult Sunday school teacher at the church in Stidham, and Rachel and Shane were in my Sunday school class, and Rachel would come dragging into class, usually a little late, and almost always looked exhausted. Many times she'd say, I've been up all night with Levi. But it was amazing with all the exhaustion and all the stress that Rachel was under. I never once heard her ever complain or to say anything that indicated that she felt like having Levi was a burden or, com- or something that she couldn't handle. Shane and Rachel are good Christian people. Shane's the church treasurer. They're very active in their church. It'd be so easy for them to say, God, why are we having to carry this burden? Why other, I mean, I mean when other parents are posting on Facebook of their pictures of their boys doing what six-year-old boys do and Rachel is posting pictures of her six-year-old boy just laying there with a smile on his face as he recognizes the voice of his dad or his mom or his sisters talking to him. He's so often struggling and hurting that Rachel's just thrilled about that. She's just as thrilled about that simple smile from Levi as other parents are about their boys riding bikes or kicking a soccer goal or getting to hit a baseball. I wish you could see the love in that mother's eyes and the way that Levi starts to wave his arms and he smiles when he hears Rachel begin to talk to him or feels her rubbing his arms. See, Rachel could look at her life and she could say, I didn't get a wagon. But what God has given me to take care of was far too valuable to put in a wagon. I get to carry this treasure in my arms and God trusted me to be what my son needs in his life. You see, special work means special blessings. But no wagons doesn't mean no love. You remember the little boy I told you about in the beginning of the message? He came back from the Christmas party and he didn't get a Christmas present. Well, he told his mother that there was no present for him under the tree. And she said, well, yes, I put one under the tree myself. And there should have been one for you. And that little boy's name was Jay Frank and his cousin who went to the party with him, was named Frank. At about the time they were having this discussion, there was a knock at the door, and his cousin came in and said, Here, I got your present by mistake. So J. Frank got all excited when he realized he hadn't been left out after all, only to have his hopes dashed when he opened that present to only find an inexpensive paperback New Testament. He looked at his mother and he said, Is that all? Of course, that boy would later become J. Frank Norris, the great preacher and the pastor of what was at the time the two largest churches in the world, one in Detroit, Michigan, the other in Fort Worth, Texas. And he would stand as an adult, he would stand in the pulpit with that little New Testament and wave that little New Testament up on the platform and he would say with tears running down his face, is that all? Is that all? 
You see, if you want to be an ordinary person and do ordinary things, you can ride in a wagon. But if you want to do special things for God, you may have to carry the burden on your shoulders. Special burdens take special efforts, but they bring special blessings. If you really understand this, I don't believe you'd be willing to trade your burden for anybody else's. I think you'd say, God chose to let me carry something so important that it couldn't be placed on the bottom of a wagon, but it had to be carried on my shoulders. In a moment, we're going to have some time of prayer and invitation. and Maybe you're here today and maybe the devil's convinced you that God thinks less of you. And that's why you've had to carry the burden on your shoulders. Maybe you've been bitter or you've been envious because it seems like others have it so much easier than you. Maybe you need to come to the altar this morning and just thank God for trusting you to carry the burden that he's given you. Or maybe you're here this morning, you've never even been saved. We've not really preached on salvation this morning, but if you've never had that time in your life when you've asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior, then you're this morning, you're carrying that burden all on your own right now. And no matter what your life is like, it'll be better with Jesus in it. Because He loves you. He wants you to be, He wants to be a help to you. And you'll never ever be alone with Jesus living inside of you. Maybe you're here this morning, there may be somebody that you know of that you know that they're having to bury, to carry a burden on their shoulders. Maybe you, maybe you're one of the ones that's getting to ride in the wagon right now, but you know that this loved one, brother or sister in Christ maybe, that you know they're having to carry it on their shoulders. Maybe you just want to come pray for them. Say, Lord, I, I don't deserve to be riding in this wagon. I don't deserve to have it easier than they do right now. But Lord, will you just give them extra grace? Give them extra strength to continue serving you and to continue doing what you've called them to do. Whatever it is this morning God's spoken to you about, I pray that you'll step out of your seat when we begin to sing in a moment and if you're here and you want to get saved, you come down here to this altar, somebody will meet you down here and they'll take their Bible and they'll show you how to be born again. If you want to just come talk to the Lord this morning, He's here. He wants to talk to you. He wants to carry your burdens and help you. Dearly Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. Thank you for the attentive folks that have listened to the message this morning. They've been so attentive and, and so kind. Lord, I pray that you'll just continue to speak to their hearts. Let the Holy Spirit continue to deal with their hearts with whatever it is that you're wanting to deal with them about this morning. I pray that something we've said this morning, Lord, will take root in their hearts. It'll help them and be a blessing to them in their lives. And, Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that they'll step out of their seat this morning, come down to this altar, and make you the Lord of their life. Have your will and way the invitation. Things be asked in your name. Amen. Let's all stand.